as has been mentioned, we're about to enter our 10-year anniversary month, and in uh, preparation for that, I've essentially been, over the last weeks, putting two questions on the table, essentially. Uh, the first question is really, who are we? And the second question is, is, so what do we do here? And we've been working through those and have been answering those with our uh, three W statements, and we now have all three on the walls in here in our worship. So I love these love these in here. Um, They are uh, worship Christ. We are about a doxology thing. We are about a doxology thing, the glory of Christ. That's the thing that it's all about. That's it, that's it, that's it. And uh, in that, uh, some of the ways that we go about making much and more of Christ is through scripture and through song and through prayer, and we talked about that. Uh, Our second W, walk with Christ, it's about an abiding thing. Uh, We do that here uh, functionally, practically, by preaching real, not just in the preaching, but we preach to be real as well in that, preaching real, program light, we're going to even get more on that next Sunday, and uh, pressing together uh, as a church. And today, we're moving into our third W, uh, Work for Christ, and I've got it titled here off to the side in your sermon notes, it's an overflowing thing. It's an overflowing thing. Worship Christ is a doxology thing. Walk for Christ is an abiding thing. Work for Christ is an overflowing thing. Now, you might be thinking, oh, work for Christ. Oh, boy, here we go. Uh, This is where pastor's going to guilt us. This is where he's going to ask for more from us. And this is probably next Sunday he's going to pass around a sign-up sheet to uh, get us to work in areas where we have some needs at... um, Frankly, that's commonly what's do- <laughs> that's commonly what's done um, when we get here. And uh, today and next Sunday, I just want for you to know, it's not going to be that. It's just not going to be that. Um, it's not going to be work harder. It's not going to be do more. It's not going to be come on, pick up the pace, you guys. It's not going to be come on, bond slaves of Christ, put your nose to the grindstone. It's just not going to be that. Um, in fact, everybody say not that. Not that. I'm not going to have a sign-up sheet, and we're not going to talk about more things that are need to be done. So, one, I just want for you to relax for today and next Sunday. Um, so, Doug, do you not care about working for Christ? Oh, absolutely. But um, I got to tell you, this series is doing a work in me on kind of what's happening here with all of this. And uh, so a lot of what the Lord has been pressing into me is I'm laying on the table for some of the first times. And I'll just say this, why not all that? Why not the pressing in and guilting and the handing out the sign-up sheet? Well, because working for the glory of Christ is not a forced duty. It is not out of a place of guilt. And I don't mean to guilt you by that. It's the reality of it working for the glory of Christ is an overflowing thing that comes out of an abiding relationship that is ultimately about the glory of the Lord. And I think we have much of this wrong in our minds as churches, as God's people, and just people in general. We work to prove ourselves. And I'm going to push back on that biblically today. Um, we are a people that is together. We are about working for the glory of Christ, and that is to come out of an abiding reality with 
the Lord for the Lord's glory. So before I dive into God's word, I just want to kind of put, maybe fill that out a little bit more. Three misdirected motives behind work. Number one, I've already kind of talked about a misdirected motive for a work for Christ is about fulfilling a duty. It's kind of, I'm a bond servant of Christ, and that's true. If you know Christ is your Savior, that is a fact. Um, it's, uh, I'm no longer my own, I was bought with a price. And that is true, you've been retitled in Corinthians. I love that kind of idea. You've been retitled. You're under new ownership, and that's true. And so it kind of comes out then that therefore I must work for Christ because I have a duty. Real Christians work. Okay, I think there's a core problem in that. Uh, misdirected motive. I think another misdirected motive is, is work for Christ is driven by an urgency. An over-built urgency. It's kind of the urgency of, if I don't, if we don't, who will? I mean, if we don't do it, no one will. The world is lost, and Jesus said, go. So, so come on, people, let's go, 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 because if we don't do it, it won't get done. Just think about it. That is so self-dependent. Like the Lord needs us so badly, he can't do a work without you and me. I just say, hold the bus on that. That is urgency out of control. A uh, third misdirective motive. Uh, my work for Christ is my walk for Christ. Uh, because I serve doing blank, that means I am abiding with Christ. I would just say, Luke 10, Martha, Martha, you're busy and anxious doing many things, but you go look at the text from the other week. But you are missing the one thing. You can work and work and work and work and think that that is therefore my abiding with Christ. And Christ is like, slow down, hold the bus, Matthew 7, but we did in your name and we did in your name and we did in your name. And Jesus said, but I don't even know you. A misdirective motive is that our work is our walk. Well, work is an overflow thing. So uh, let's work that. Um, in fact, uh, Remember our illustration where I said it was my dorky illustration? Um, John 15, the vine and the branch. Um, before we dive in, just think about this illustration again. So the tree, the trunk, we in Israel, they didn't have oak trees and maple trees and evergreen trees so much, so it was vines there, but here it's more of a trunk of a tree for us. The trunk of the tree in John 15, Jesus says, abide in me. It's the idea of we are the branches, he is the trunk, he is the vine. And when we come to know Christ as our Savior, we are grafted into Christ. We are grafted into the trunk, into the vine. And, and, and it's right there at that grafting point. It's right where the branch is connected to the vine. That's the abiding thing. What happens right there is going to produce what's out here. You see, oftentimes what we end up doing is we get so consumed about all the leaves and the fruit. And it's like, uh, have you ever seen a branch on its own going... I, I'm trying to produce leaves. Have you ever heard a branch going, God, I just can't do it. I'm so trying so hard. But I would suggest we oftentimes live like that. And we think that we're connected to the tree and the leaves and the fruit that's produced comes out of our will, our wanting, our working really hard. We produce the leaves. Listen, the reality of the image that Jesus gave is that when you are connected to the tree, what happens out here is a result of what's going on right here. 
and as the nutrients, as, as the other things are all taking place right here, this is what produces that. And we oftentimes look at just the work, and we think that the work confirms this. There is some truth to that to glance and look back and know, but don't get stuck out here. So, we're about work. But we're about work that's an overflowing thing. It comes out of abiding with. With me? All right. Now today, from here on out, is a bit like a class. Okay? Um, If you've been around here for a while, you know that generally, for me, we go to a text of Scripture and camp there. Frankly, I far more prefer that. (laughs) And uh, it's... I just enjoy it more going through books of scripture, and we'll come back to that. But right now, we're in a bit of a systematic theology kind of a thing. And so what I want for us to do today is I kind of want for us to go through the scriptures and take a look. What does the scripture say about this idea of work? Okay? So that's what's going. So I would encourage you to have your update out with sermon notes page, write some notes down, because frankly, I'm going to fly through a whole bunch of scripture passages You're not going to be able to stay with all of them. I'll I'll have you go to a few of them, but write them down. You can keep them. You can go back and look at them some more. It's a little bit more like a class. I'm going to put a bunch of things on the table. So ready, class? Here we go. Lord, do a work in us, right? Amen. All right. Number one, the Lord is at work. The Lord is at work. Go to Genesis chapter one. Genesis chapter one. Uh, the Father, the Son, the Spirit are said in Scripture to be at work, building out kind of a biblical theology of work here. Genesis chapter 1, now verses 1 and 2, let's start there. In the beginning, God, Elohim, plural, the Godhead, created the heavens and the earth. And then in verse 2, and the Spirit of God is hovering over the face of the waters. Uh, Notice just this idea of work. Listen, the Godhead is at work. The Godhead is at work at creating, at making something uh, in in that whole reality. And even, it's so cool, even the Spirit of God is hovering over the face of the waters of that. It's not just a distant thing, it's an involved thing with it all. Uh, Look over at Genesis chapter 2. Verses 1 through 3, Genesis 2 is a more detailed definition of the, if you will, the sixth day of creation, if you will, the the creation of Adam and Eve. It's more narrowing down and taking a closer look at that. And verses 1 through 3 says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God, Elohim, plural, finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day, made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Three times the word work is being used there in this idea. There's a whole number of things. I'm going to make reference back to this passage here a little bit later. Uh, But in it we see this idea that there is a work. So work is not a bad word because God is a God who does work. And we see it even in the creation work. Uh, Turn to Exodus 34. Exodus 34. Uh, God gives Moses the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. And upon his return to the people, they do the whole golden calf thing. You know, you've seen the movie. And uh, in Exodus 32, I'll note in verse 16 of uh, chapter 32, it says the tablets were the work of God. 
In Exodus 32, 19, Moses' anger burned hot and he threw the tablets. He threw them down when he saw what was happening. Uh, maybe Moses had a little bit of an anger thing there uh, in it. But uh, Exodus 34, verse 10, God says, Behold, I am making a covenant before all your people. I will do marvels such that has not been uh, such as have not been created in all the earth or any nation, that all the people among you are, uh, whom you are among shall see the work of Yahweh, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Listen, God is not just at work in creation, but God is at work after the work of creation. A God is a God of work, and not only is God in a God a work of making things, but God is a God of work in people, and through people, and around people. Uh, some other verses I'll, you can just note down, Psalm 138, 8. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me, David is saying. Uh, Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. In Psalm 138, David is referring to God's work in his own life, not just exterior from David. Habakkuk 1.5 says, Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, God says, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. Listen, not only is God doing a work in people, but God is doing a work before people and around people. Uh, That fits with Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. The Spirit of God is at work within us. God has placed himself in those who know Christ as their Savior. God has put himself in you. The Spirit of God. Philippians 2.13. This is cruel. For it is God who works in you. Listen to this. This is key to this whole study today. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. What is that saying? That's saying the illustration. The branch is not connected into the tree out here and the branch is going... I'm trying to produce leaves. I'm trying to produce fruit. No, what's happening? No, no, it is out of the trunk that even the desire to produce fruit comes out of the trunk and the ability to produce fruit comes out of the trunk. Stop trying so hard. Seriously. Stop trying so hard. It's out of an abiding thing. And the abiding thing is the, is the key because the abiding thing is about a doxology thing. And the wonder and the glory of the Lord calls me to want to abide in him. And as we abide in him and drill into the Lord and tap into the Lord and connect into the Lord, increasing so, it is out of that that we want. Not because I'm working so hard to want, but because literally in the abiding thing, I want, I am just juiced to be able to do that. That's what's happening. Philippians 2.13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. By the way, the Lord is at work and we're supposed to ponder his work. Well, here's a few verses. Psalm 77, 11 through 12 says this, I, David, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all 
your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. God isn't just doing a work, just doing a work because the Godhead is bored. God is doing work because the Godhead is great. And because the Godhead wants us to be able to see his glory and ponder in it. Another one, Psalm 143, 5, says, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. Let me maybe summarize some thoughts here. I think all these passages point to, uh, just a a small sampling of passages, point to that the Lord works. Uh, Work is not a bad four-letter word. We don't get the picture in Scripture that the Godhead sits that the Godhead slumbers, that the Godhead sleeps. Instead, we get the picture that the Godhead is at work and loves being at work. And it is out of their reality that they work together in that. Our God works. It is not a bad word. Secondly, Genesis 1 and 2 point to it's out of an overflow of their abiding relationship. I just don't have time to drill into that, but man, I've got to tell you, for me personally, this has become, in the last year, a big deal to me. Why creation? Because the Godhead in perfect relationship together wanted not just to display who they are for their own arrogance. Listen, they didn't need the planets. They didn't need you and me. They were just fine. But out of their glory, their love for one another and their relationship, they want to see more of that. And they even want to be able to have us experience what perfect relationship is like. What perfect love is like. And it is out of their relationship that we came into existence. Sin came into the problem. But know this, the Godhead is bringing it all back around. The Godhead has never been surprised. And the Godhead is at work. It's an overflow of their relationship. Also, Genesis 1 and 2, their work was partnered with rest. It's not all work, work, work. There is rest. I am going to make a note on that. A lot of times the discussion when you come to that passage gets so on the rest that it actually forgets to establish a biblical view of work. I'll just toss this out. This can't be where I go today with time. But do you get your view of work off of culture Or do you get your view of work out of Scripture? I actually think we get more of our understanding of what it is to work by cultural standards as opposed to biblical standards. Work. But work is not the only thing. Rest is a part of that. In fact, that rest idea in Genesis 1.31, it's like God steps back and he just goes, this is good. This is good. And by the way, if we're to ponder the wonders of the, wor- of the Lord, in a times of rest would be a great time to do that. Agreed? Look at what the Lord has done. This is good. And sit in it. More of that in me, more of that in us. And then a fourth thing, Exodus 34, Psalm 138, Habakkuk 1, Ephesians 3. The work of the Lord is a marvelous and it is personal. I'm so burdened by, I think uh, God's people oftentimes have this idea that God is so distant or disconnected or it's like, doesn't he understand what's happening in politics? Doesn't God understand what's happening in the world? 
can I just answer that? Yes. Yes. He even understands that evil is going on. Yes. And sometimes I don't get it at all. Sometimes I just want to bang my head against the wall and like, what's going on in our world? But the place that we rest in is that he has it. And even if I don't get it, even if I don't like it, even if I don't want it, he's got it. Am I going to allow him to have it? Doesn't mean we're not involved. Doesn't mean any of that. Yeah, you got it. Work. Work is not dreary. It's not a duty. It's not panic-ridden. It's not to prove self-identity. God works. And he works out of his divine relationship. It's about seeing his glory and doing marvelous things. The Lord works. Secondly, we were created to work. Go to Genesis 1 if you're already there. Hang there. Go to Genesis 1 again. Genesis 1 verses 27 and 28. Let me read those. So God created Adam, man, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over. I just want to note in here, the divine creator who created Adam and Eve commissioned them to multiply and fill, to subdue, and to have dominion over. By the way, there wasn't a conflict that was going on on the earth that they had to, like, be dictators over. No, no, no. This is a call to steward over. Listen, friend, this is so cool if we get this. The Godhead is in perfect relationship together. The Godhead creates all of creation. And in all of creation, there's this place that we know as earth. And on earth, God puts this man and this woman there and gives them a commission call. He created them, and he created them to do something. We could say he created them to do a work. What's the work? The work is as the Godhead has dominion and stewarding over everything, God has given us this, uh, this call, this, this created us for this dominioning over. We're to be stewards over the earth. Hey, listen, you are not here by a scientific mistake. You and I are here on purpose by a divine creator. And in that purpose of it all, we are unique from bunny rabbits. Bunny rabbits have not been given the responsibility to steward over and to multiply over. But we have. We have been given a work, created for a work. In Genesis 3.23, after the fall, maybe you say, yeah, but that's before sin. So once sin came in, all that's out. No, uh, because after the fall, therefore the Lord God sent Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which they were taken. They were still to work. But it, uh, so is work a punishment for sin? No. Is work affected by sin? Yes. But then we go in this, listen, we have still been called, go to Noah, and we find out that God gives them the same call to Adam and Eve to steward over. We have been created to work, and that makes sense, because our God works. And if we are image bearers of God, wouldn't that make sense? 
that we would be doing similar things as image bearers of? It sure would make sense to me. Ecclesiastes 3.22, so I saw that there was nothing better than a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Ecclesiastes, what a freaky book. I actually love the book because of its freakiness. It's just a successful guy trying to figure out what life is all about now that he's super successful. And one of the things he comes to the conclusion of is, hey, our lot in life is to work. And biblically that makes sense because our God works. And that is an image-bearing reality of who our God is. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Your works do not save you. Let me just clarify that again. If you are thinking one day when you stand before God and give account and you think that you're going to give your list of works before the Lord and that you have more better works than the other people who are in line, even if it's 51% and they are whatever, listen, that is not what saves you. There are no amount of works that can redeem you from our sin condition and problem, but know this. When redeemed in Christ, we get to work for his glory. And without Christ, we can do good works, but they are not for his glory. We are created to work. Kind of along with us, I've already alluded into it. We are called to work. We are called to work. I'm going to kind of break this out. I'm a little fearful of breaking it out into physical work and ministry work, but I'm going to do it. Uh, don't, don't decipher the two as completely different. There is no secular and then spiritual. It's all in that, but, but follow me. Uh, physical work. Uh, we already talked about the Lord commissioned Adam and Eve to fill the earth and have dominion. Again, it's not a, it's not a dictatorship over. It's a stewarding of that. Genesis 1, 27 and 28. Genesis 3, 23. God sent them out to work the ground. By the way, note, God did not create Adam and Eve and they were right there in the smack dab middle of Eden or right outside of Eden. There was this beautiful Trader Joe's or Amazon warehouse. God could have done that. God could have had everything there for them. So frankly, they just lazy boy life. But God has called us to be people that are active at work, who use our hands, who get after it. And isn't it interesting? We live in a culture now where the whole idea of work is becoming a four-letter bad word. And we are glorifying laziness. Careful. Where do you get your biblical view? Where do you get your view of work from? Culture? Or from Scripture, careful in it, careful in it. I've looked in Scripture, trust me, I've looked. I've tried to find 40 hours a week. I don't find it. Where do we get our understanding of work? Oh, and trust me, my staff right now is thinking about me. Do you understand rest, Doug? (laughs) We're all growing, right? 
you're called to work. Also, uh, physical work, Proverbs 12, 11. Whoever works, with his, his, whoever works with his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. By the way, the Proverbs are wisdom principles, not promises. Whoever works with his hands will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. Proverbs 13, 4, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. Again, principles, not promises. 2 Timothy 2, 6, it is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Colossians 2, 23 and 24, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men. You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ, the text says. Um, For some of you, you are in jobs that you honestly don't like at all. They're not rewarding. They're not fulfilling. In fact, it's a daily grind to wake up. You know? And um, that's hard. It's a delightful thing when you can do a work, a career that you love. But know this. There's the tendency for those who love their career to get their identity in their career. Be careful. There's the tendency for those who don't like their work to lose their identity in Christ. Listen, it is the Lord you are serving, and in it, as hard as it is, I don't say, therefore, you should go to the work you don't really enjoy and just be like, I love this. But there is a purpose. There is something more than just your own personal career ambitions. All of life is for the Lord. Let me kind of turn here from physical work, if I can, to ministry work. Um, Again, I don't want to separate the two, and I realize by saying that I already have. But there's a little bit of of an angle I want to take here. Because there is more than just when we think of work, we think of career work, labor work, whether that's as an employee, as an employer, whether that's your work as a homemaker, whether that's your work as a student, whether that's your work as a retired person, whether that's a work, whatever stage of life and phase of life you are in. But know this, it's not just about the functional work of income and so forth. It's also about there is a work that is beyond all of it that all of it is about, and let me just focus on that a little bit, it is about the ministry work for the Lord. There is something that flows out of abiding with Christ where we come to understand that my job is not just about my career advancement. My job is not just about cash. My job is about something far bigger than that. God establishes a covenant with Noah in Genesis 6. You can just note that down. God says to Noah, I will bring a flood, but I will establish my covenant with you, your wife, your sons, your daughters-in-law. And uh, Genesis 9, behold, I establish an everlasting covenant with you and your offspring. I will bet there had to be a day in the hundred years that Noah is building that gargantuan floating hotel, zoo. That in there, there were some days that Noah's like, seriously, I've like cut down trees for the last 38 years. 
and that's all I do. And this is like under the Lord? Are you kidding me? And Noah has to come back and realizing, no, we're not kidding you. This is actually for the Lord. And the Lord takes delight in our diligence as people of work. There is something far bigger than our careers. There is something far bigger than our self-identity in what we do or how much we make or how big our house is. Frankly, when it comes right down to it, who cares? There is something so cool that is so beyond it all that all of that can be a part of. Because the truth is any atheist can be about their career. Any atheist can be about their 401k. Any atheist can be about their bigger, smaller, tiny house. But only God's people can be about something far bigger, a work far bigger than all of that work. And Noah was part of that. And it included a daily grind. And the Lord takes delight in the daily grind. I gotta keep going. God says to Isaac in Genesis 26, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not. Breathe. Fear not, for I am with you. I don't think we understand still how big a deal that is. Do you understand that if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Lord is with you? Not far off, with you. And by the way, I have to say this as well. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, the Lord is not with you. And He is inviting you. Come, 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 jump into the vine. And Colossians 2 6 and 7 strengthen, grow, mature, abide. The invitation is there. And for those who know Christ, the Lord is with you. Oh, I love that. And God says to Moses, in Exodus 4, in Exodus 3 and 4, Moses is like, I can't do this, God. I can't do this thing. I've never, I don't even want to do this thing. And God gives the end towards Exodus 4. And God's like, you could just like read it. And you can like feel the Lord like, dude, you're pushing my buttons, man. I've put up with you for a chapter and a half. And in the final part of it, the Lord says, this is my in, including, Moses, look at me. Look at me, look in my eyes. And God says, Moses, I will be with your mouth and I will teach you. Do you understand how comforting that is? Do you understand how relieving that is? When we talk about work for the Lord, we're not talking about, hey, who's got the most muscle? Who's got the most brain power? Who's got the most skill set? Hey, the Lord invites and the Lord equips. Our job is just to, I'm in. It comes out of abiding. It comes out of abiding. Uh, Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 1, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. That sounds like Psalm 139. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nation. And Jeremiah replies, oh Lord, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. It's a young Moses. And the Lord said, do not be afraid, for I am with you. 
Listen, the Lord's work is not just the Lord's work. The Lord's work is about doing a work in and out of us. And he is with in that. And then Jesus, in Matthew 28, gives a great commission to the disciples. These guys that are scared of that don't have the foggiest idea what they're doing and what's going on. It gives me hope. And he says to them, go make disciples. By the way, we forget the next verse. For I am with you always to the end of the age. That's the exclamation point. It's not a, okay, bucket up everybody, let's go. On our own strength we're going to produce fruit. But I have to tell you, over my days and years and decades and as a follower of Christ and in church, it feels more like that than it feels like, hey friends, let's make sure we're abiding. And know this, when we abide, work happens. That's why today and next week is not about, come on you guys, more, more, more. That's not what we're about here. We are about driving you to abide. I'm so far ahead of myself right now. (laughs) And send you out. My wife is smiling because she knows I'm out of control. (laughs) By the way, just a couple other verses. John 9, 4. This is huge. John 9, 4. Make sure and write this down even if you aren't writing the others. John 9, 4. Jesus said, we must work the works of him who sent me. We must work the works of him who sent me. In other words, it's not just about my job work. It's not just about even homework. It's not just about work in my house or work at church. Listen, The Lord is calling us to do a work of the Father. There's something far bigger, far higher, far more wonderful. Our work matters. Our work matters. Your job matters. But honestly, it only matters in the reality of the God at work. Otherwise, we're just living like atheists. And no wonder people aren't impressed by Christians so often nowadays because we look just like everybody else. And it is the Lord who works in you to both will and to work for his good pleasure, Philippians 2.13. few more, 1 Corinthians 15.58, therefore be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 to 15, the love of Christ compels us. Those who live no longer live for themselves, but for Him. By the way, do you see that? The love of Christ, that's the abiding part. It is the love of Christ. It is the branch connected to the tree. When that is just, mar- that's where all the thing is going on. When that is marvelous and that is exciting and that is wonderful, it is in that that out of that, we are compelled to. The branch doesn't have to, ah! the branch just does. 
It just does. Fruit just happens. I have never heard a branch grunt in the producing of leaves. It just happens. Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and to the remote parts of the earth. Really, there's a movement. If you follow the locations, it's local, regional, and international, all the earth. And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Matthew twenty two thirty seven to 40. Lord, what is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord. Abide. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. That's the walk. That's the abiding thing. Oh, and by the way, he couldn't get away from the next thing. Oh, and love your neighbor. What's that? What's that really all about? That comes out of the loving the Lord, out of agape with the Lord. We come to love people because the Lord loves people, and it is out of that that we love people. It is a natural result of it. The abiding drives the, quote, working for the glory of Christ. And one more, I think. And it's kind of funny, but sad. Jesus says to Peter in John 21, you may be familiar, after Peter denied Christ three times, and the Lord brings this ministry restoration back to Peter. And he says, uh, hey, Peter, feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. Peter, you follow me. By the way, what's that? That's abiding. By the way, do you understand? You follow me, and as you follow me, you will tend. You will feed. You see that? It is out of abiding that ministry happens. Oh, and and then the, 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 the funny, sad part is right after that, right after that, you read it in John 21, uh, Peter uh, uh, all of a sudden goes into the looking around at the other guy's mode, just like branches tend to do. Look around, and he literally, he goes, hey, Jesus, uh, what's up with John? Isn't, isn't, that, isn't that what happens so often? When we're doing a work for the Lord and we're doing it and like we see someone else, what about them, man? They're not in on it. Or, or why is their thing bigger than my thing? Or just all this goofiness that goes on in it all. And Peter's right there. Man, it gives me so much hope. Peter's like, hey, what about John, Lord? And Jesus turns to him and he said, What's that to you, Peter? And then he repeats, you follow me. Isn't that good? I'm telling you, that is such a practical word of the reality of the doing of ministry. Hey, abide with me, Jesus says. And out of that, you will be able to tend because I am the one who wills you and works you, who will teach your mouth, who will teach you. Listen, just abide in me, and out of real abiding, that will happen. Oh, and by the way, when we start getting our eyes on everybody else because they're not, or we wonder, Jesus goes, zip it. You just follow me. I'll take care of that. Well, two thoughts are likely taking place in your mind right at this point. One is, uh, man, all these verses, all these passages, I'm kind of getting lost and you're giving me a headache. Um, Let me just kind of say this. Work is biblical. Work is biblical. The Lord works. We were created to work and we're called to work. 
both physically and for ministry. They're both the same. They're all ultimately for the glory of the Lord. Listen, we don't work as slaves for the Lord. Yes, the scripture says we are bond slaves, but ultimately we are bond slaves retitled working for the glory of the Lord. That's what this is all about. Work is biblical. And that needs to be said because we live in a culture presently in this generation, at least in my lifetime, where it's like laziness is viewed as the cool thing. And the lazier you can be, the more awesome you are. It's odd, isn't it? It's contrary to Scripture. Work is biblical. Secondly, I hope you've gotten work is an overflowing thing. It comes out of abiding. Work is an overflow of walk. And our walk is ultimately about making much and more of Christ. Let me say it this way on the wall. I hope I don't ruin speakers here. Here's what we generally do. We start with right here with work. And we think work proves our walk. And when we work, which proves our walk, now we are bringing glory unto the Lord. You see it goes that way? That's the wrong way. That's not the biblical way. You see out of it, it is, it is a doxology thing. Ultimately, it is about the glory of the Lord. It's all for the worship of the Lord. And when we see that and we understand that and we, we are called and we are attached to that, we are called and we abide. We, we, we want to because of the grandness and the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ and we want to walk in the Lord. And it is out of the walk of the Lord as we walk in the Lord and we see who that he is. Out of that, we, we can't help but work for the Lord, serve the Lord for his glory. You see what I'm saying? And, and we get it backwards. That's what sinners do. Right? But I want to remind us, who are we? We are a people that is about a doxology thing. The doxology flows into an abiding thing. And overflowing out of the abiding thing, God goes to work. By the way, the second thing you're probably wondering is, oh man, we got a whole last section in only like no time. That's on plan. I'm putting next week in front of you. Let's just fill in a couple blanks. Um, the incarnate Christ at work. The incarnate Christ at work. Might how Jesus did ministry have insight and help and direction for how we should do ministry? Yeah. I think so. And we're going to talk a little bit about that next week and flow into some things about here. So how did Jesus do ministry? Three things there you've got. Number one, Jesus invited. Jesus invited people, come, follow me. Secondly, Jesus equipped. Come, follow me and I will make you. By the way, when you really look and you take a look at who Jesus asked to follow him, they are nothing special. And the day in how we, and even back then, people would look at who are, have the most potential, Jesus picked all the losers on that list. Picked the ones that are down in the latter section like, who? Uh, just noting that. Um, Jesus invited, Jesus equipped, and third, and then Jesus sent out. Come, 
follow me, I will make you fishers of men. And then Matthew 28 and 29 in Acts chapter 1. Therefore, go and make disciples. Go. Go. The text in the Greek is actually, uh, therefore, go making disciples. The, the emphasis on the verb is the go. You, you go, go making. Go making disciples. By the way, when Jesus went to the cross, by most modern-day ministry measurements, he was a failure. He was a failure. Think about it. How is most ministry success viewed, counted by numerics? And when Jesus goes to the cross, the second person of the Trinity, I would think of anybody had the ability to do ministry and do it really well, what happened? He had 11 guys and a few others. That's it. In nowadays standards in church ministry world, that would be a failure. Time to close shop. I'm telling you, we need to think about what we're doing and what we're measuring it by. The Lord invited, the Lord quipped, and the Lord sent out. More on that next week. Let me finish with this. I think more churches today are more like Martha than Mary. I think more churches today are more like Martha ministry than Mary ministry. I'd also say it this way. I think there's a tendency for church world and Christian world to think more like Saul than like Paul. If you have your Bible, turn to Philippians 3 and we'll finish just reading this. What do I mean by that? Saul, who becomes Paul, in Philippians chapter 3, gives his testimony, tells his story. Let's close with this. Just listen. Chapter 3, Philippians, starting in verse 4. He's talking about his life when he was Saul, okay, before he knew Christ. Listen to how he measured himself. Though I myself have reasons for confidence in the flesh, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. By the way, do you, do you, if you read this, it was what I was saying on the wall. He was talking about all his work and how his work validated his relationship with God and how out of that relationship with God, that's what pleased the Lord. He had it backwards before he knew Christ. He was all about work for the Lord, stacking it up, showing himself that he was blameless and righteous and awesome. But then he comes to know Christ as his Savior and everything gets flipped the other direction. Listen. Verse 7. I can't read it out of the... I memorize it in NIV, so let me see if I can do that. Uh, how does it start? But whatever... But whatever, going. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord abiding. And then what? 
for whose sake I gave up all things that I may know Christ and be found in him. Not having the righteousness of my own, but that which is through faith in Christ. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering. Do you see what's going on there? He was all about work. Work established his supposed walk with God, which was all about then pleasing the Lord. But it's the backwards. It's upside down. It's no, no, no. I want to know Christ because it's a doxology thing. And the doxology thing drives me to do an abiding thing. And it is in that abiding thing that I say this. Look at what Paul did. Not because Paul was awesome, but because God was awesome in and through him. More Paul in us, less Saul in us. And so Lord, we ask for your help because we lived in a conflicting within our own soul, within our own culture, within our own world reality. And we tend to get caught up in our own heart struggles. We want to prove ourselves. We want to validate ourselves, even if it's well-intentioned. And Lord, who are we? We want to be a people that is about the glory and the fame of your name and your name only. Right, church? And Lord, we want to be a people. We want to be a church that centers ourselves, that when we come, that here this church, our focus, our our, our pursuit is deeper abiding in you. To, to do that with our children, to do that here with us, to do that in our small groups. Oh God, I pray we want to be a church that is focused on abiding in you. Right, church? And Because we know that when we are abiding in you, you will then do a work out of us and through us. It is not in our strength that we go. It is not in our capability that we make disciples. We're called to go. And you are the one who does the work through us that is mind-blowing. And yet, Lord, our own hearts and our own desires and our own misunderstanding so often get in the way. So God, I pray, would you help us? We're weak, right, church? We're weak, Lord. We are sheep. We get confused. We need your help. Not to Martha more, but to Mary more. To come here, to be reminded of what it's about and who it's about, and to be released. To go watch you do a work out of us. (laughs) So we're here, Lord. Do a work, we pray, in your name, amen.